is Jose. Three seconds. Gives it to DeRozan. DeRozan's fading. What a tough shot. And it goes! DeRozan with plenty of time. It's five seconds. DeRozan on the drive. and hit from the corner. Van Vliet. Van Good. A two. The Raptors lead with 1.1 to play. Hey, Kane. How's it going? It's going well. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me uh, after that big game last night. Yeah, thank you for coming on. This is uh, Kane Pittman. I would say somewhat of a Bucks expert, uh, one of Australia's finest. Here to talk about the most recent game with the Milwaukee Bucks and the Toronto Raptors, and kind of just break down not only last night's game as we record this on Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, but also just this matchup in general. Obviously, Milwaukee is one of Toronto's biggest competitors to get out of the East. Uh, I guess I'll just start with Kane. What would you say is your biggest takeaway from last night's game? Well, the biggest thing was I think that, that all the good players played well. And and what what we've seen, I mean, I, I couldn't be any more impressed with Toronto, the, the, the amount of shots that they made. And I know uh, the starters shot 63% or something ridiculous like that for Toronto. Like, uh I mean, those guys just couldn't miss, and it was it was really impressive that every single time the Bucks, you know, made it, tried to make a run uh, at the Raptors, they just came up with big shots, and and that's that's what the team do. It was a lot of shot making from Toronto last night. You talked about the starters being so good. Toronto's starters scored 118 of their 123 points, which is obviously a ridiculous number, and quite frankly, probably unsustainable going into future. Games. What, from Milwaukee's perspective, were you encouraged about as a Bucks uh, fan, and what were you kind of concerned about? Well, I think the thing with the Bucks that's been impressive all season is that they 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 stay in games, and when things aren't particularly going well, that they're, they're able to still remain in the contest. And I, I thought, I mean, you touched on it. If, if you're playing in a game where the opposition started at 118 points. And and you can still be in the game with with five minutes left. I think I think that's a positive. Um, you know, I I think that as much as Toronto made big shots, I, I think the Bucks' perimeter defense had a, left a little bit to be desired last night, and and a lot of those shots were open looks. But um, I mean, you're still going to make those shots, and 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 those guys did. But yeah, you know, I think the Bucks will want to tighten things up on defense, and and Bud wasn't happy with the defense last night. That was pretty much the first uh, thing he said after the game. He said the defense wasn't organized. He wasn't happy with the way they contested shots. So um, certainly defensively, they need to figure it out. And the other thing is Brooke Lopez was a non-factor, and I think that's been a concern of a lot of people, um, whether he's going to be able to be a, a major player in the playoffs when teams go small and have athletic guys like uh, Toronto and certainly Boston are the same. Right, you saw Toronto play Greg Monroe for five minutes in the first half. Nick Nurse wisely went away from that in the second in order to, you know, prevent Brooke Lopez. And another thing that at least I saw is you notice a lot of the help from Toronto came from players other than Serge Ibaka. I thought the Raptors were really disciplined and did a great job of making sure to help off of people that were less of a threat as a shooter than guys like Brooke Lopez, who has been absolutely on fire from three so far this season. Yeah, I was impressed with it. I mean, Toronto, they have such uh, great individual defenders, with obviously Green and Leonard and the Barker and all these guys, but they were super aggressive uh, with quick and early double teams, particularly on Giannis and Middleton as well. Um, 
really physical, and I think that threw I think that threw the Bucks off a little bit. Um, but that but that's the thing. I, I mean, they they are smart individual defenders, and I think obviously Nurse had that game plan, and that's what he wanted to do. But I, I don't think the Bucks really responded that well to that. I think they I think Toronto were able to slow them down for big big parts of the game through the second and third quarter. Um, and then in, the, in the last quarter, we seen the game speed up again. That's when when Giannis was able to be more effective. So no, it's interesting. I, I think there was there was there was a lot of stuff to come out of last night. Yeah, there was a lot of doubling on Giannis from other positions, and then I think Toronto did a very good job of switching after they sent the double team and rotating the defense accordingly. With Milwaukee, they have good shooters from outside, but I think you always want to question or always want to challenge a couple of their players' ability to attack closeouts. And other than Chris Middleton, there's not really another guy on Milwaukee that you fear kind of driving into the lane, and even Middleton is more of a shooter than an inside presence. But I think Toronto did a great job of saying, okay, we'll switch whoever we need to on the perimeter to prevent the three-point shot, but we're going to make Milwaukee attack closeouts. Yeah, I think that's a good call. And and it's it's interesting because the Bucks have, have had uh, such great success getting into the paint and scoring in the paint or, or just shooting the threes, but... What we seen last night, when just particularly when Toronto, with guys like Siakam and yeah, you know, these athletic guys that can move, they're able to they're able to switch on defense, and then they're still able to recover and get into the paint as well. So it was, it was, it was certainly it was it was interesting. I, I I mean, there's not many teams that that can show the looks that Toronto did. Uh, the Bucks still got up 37 threes, which is not far off their average, and they hit, they hit 37 percent of them. So while we, we, I say that the, the Bucks look like they were a little thrown off on offense. They still shot 50% themselves in the field, uh, like I said, 37% from three, and, and had uh, 116 points. So, I mean, you're going to win a lot of games with those numbers. So, um, you know, as much as I think they have a lot to work on, I, I think uh, Toronto were just, I mean, they just had one of those nights uh, offensively. Right. For reference, Milwaukee's offensive rating was 116 last night, which is better than their already league or second place in the league rating. So it's not like Milwaukee was considerably stopped last night. What you said you were most disappointed in was the defense of the team. I thought that Milwaukee continued to do that deep drop with Brooke Lopez, which they played all season has been really effective all season. But one of the things that you saw from that is Fred Van Vliet got open for quite a few pull-up threes out of the pick and roll and Serge Ibaka really was effective in the mid-range. Do you think that Milwaukee will try to kind of change that as they get into a playoff series and adjust to the Toronto Raptors, or do you think that that's their playing style and that's the defense that's been successful all season and you don't change it, you know, based on a matchup? Uh, I think we'll see some adjustments. And I think basically, and I don't know what this means for Brook Lopez, but I think we will see the Bucks switch more and, and... We've sort of asked Bud about this because we're, you know, I know it's we're moved into the new year now, but certainly earlier in the season there was one game in particular where CJ McCollum had 40 points and 30, 30 of them were from the mid range or something like that. And we asked that that question and he said, well, I'm not, I'm not worried about that right now because I'm trying to teach it. This is this is the principles that I want the guys to learn and I want them that them to have that ingrained in their mind and then maybe later in the season we'll look at doing some different things. So. 
I, I think they probably would would have started switching a little more and, and stop allowing those those shots because particularly when guys get hot, uh, if you have Lopez dropping back, as you know, and I mean a guy like Kawhi Leonard in the pick and roll is just going to walk into those mid range shots all day long. He's <laughs> he is not concerned with that. So. Uh, I was a little surprised that they didn't... When DJ Wilson went out particularly, I was surprised that they didn't go to Thon. I know Toronto fans have <laughs> probably seen the best of Thon. Um, so it, it was a little surprising that they didn't try him. Um, but, you know, I, I, I think we'll... I don't think that the Bucks are just going to stick through that shooting night. So, uh, they have the ability to switch uh, one through five uh, once you do uh, go a bit smaller and take Lopez out. So I think uh, in, in a playoff game, that's probably what you'll see. Has Milwaukee, now that Henson's been traded, has it been their typical rotation to play Fonmaker, or is it usually a Brooke Lopez playing the majority of the center minutes and then a combination of Giannis slash Ersan Elisova? I don't know which one you would consider the five, but those guys playing with backup center minutes. Yeah, Thon's been playing, and he has probably... I mean, he's, he's been getting sort of 12 to 15 minutes a night since uh, Henson went out. Um... DJ Wilson came into the rotation. He was out for a long time with uh, hamstring soreness and really had never played in, the, in his year and a bit in the, in the league. And, and he came in and had uh, yeah, particularly defensively really good impact. So DJ and Thon were sort of sharing those minutes. Uh, but Ersan Ulysova was out with a broken nose. So uh, Ersan came back uh, for the Atlanta game on, on Friday night. Uh, and Thon played on Friday night, but everyone played on Friday night. I mean, that game was ridiculous. So... Uh, last night was the first time that Thon hasn't played in in well over a month, um, and I'm not sure what that means for him. But it was it was interesting to see that in a game where you felt like he he would be suited to playing in stretches that he still didn't play. Um, it, it'll be interesting to see where they where they go with that. Right. If if JV was active and Coach Bud didn't want to play Thon against him, I'd understand just with the size difference there and kind of the physicality of Jonas Valanciunas, but with JV out, it did surprise me that Don didn't get some run on the court, especially considering what he can do defensively for you guys. Uh, DJ Wilson, someone that you mentioned, he's kind of come into the rotation surprisingly, at least surprisingly to me. Like you said, he hasn't made much of an impact during the season. His option was declined by Milwaukee. What have you seen from him so far this season? Well, he surprised everyone. <laughs> we, he, he, uh, I, I, the big thing with him is that I, I don't think anyone's seen his actual level of physicality uh, and effort. Because, I mean, we'd seen him playing the G League level uh, quite a bit. We've seen him in summer league and preseason games. And a lot of the times, he just looks like he's just floating around and, and not really that interested. But he's come in and he is, he is I mean, he's, he's already, uh, you know, up to, I think, the second best rebounder, like per game average, uh, in only 18 minutes a game. He's getting big rebounding numbers. Um, he's he's a guy that that has shown an ability to in one play to defend multiple different players and recover to different positions, um, and and he will shoot an open three. So he's the type of guy that Bud likes. And even though everyone else was was not quite sure what to expect from him and perhaps starting to get on on the brink of being out on him, uh, Bud the whole way said, "No, this guy's going to be good. We we really like him. We know he's going to be a part of the rotation. He just needs to get his hamstring right and be healthy." So. Uh, Budenholz is not surprised, but I think everyone else has been. Yeah, he's someone that I watched a lot in college uh, as an Ohio State grad. I watched a decent amount of Michigan games, and he always 
kind of came off as soft to me and whatever I saw in the NBA, I didn't really love his just passive mentality. But he, as you said, whenever I've watched him as of late, he's really seemed to kind of kick that habit, and I'm not sure what the difference was. But he's been incredible for them so far this season. Do you think that they regret declining that option? Uh, they picked that up, actually. They picked oh, up they him. did. I'm sorry. Yeah, him and Thon, which was the interesting thing because they, they, they picked it up and everyone – and this was before he played. Um, so there was a lot of criticism for that, uh, for them picking him up because people were like, well, what, this guy hasn't played. He hasn't shown anything. He meant, like, like you mentioned, they're like, well, he, he didn't really show – that much in college, he had a good tournament, obviously, but uh, he he came into the rotation just a couple of weeks after that, and everyone now is thinking, okay, well, we we see what you guys looking at. <laughs> yeah, an- another guy who's entered into the rotation, obviously, is George Hill. What is he given this team? Last night, he got to the free throw line quite a bit. He played 28 minutes against the Raptors, and I think it's been, from what I've seen, a solid contributing piece. Uh, what have you seen from him? Yeah, last night was definitely his best game. Um, he struggled a little bit with his shot since he's got here. Um, his percentages haven't been great at all. Uh, but I, I think the thing that, that the Bucks really like with, with George Hill is that uh, he, he's, he's a veteran and he's played in big games. And you saw last night that, that Bud wasn't afraid to, to throw him in, um, in in fourth quarter minutes. So, yeah, I just got his percentages up there. So. Last night, I know he hit a shot, so he had a better night. But he's only shooting 41% from the field and 27% from three with the Bucks. So he, he's had a rough start. But uh, uh, Friday night and, and last night scored in double digits. First time he's done that in back-to-back games. Um, as you said, when the Bucks needed points, uh, sort of late in the third, early in the fourth, he was able to get to the line. He hit a big three as well. So uh, I, I expect that... Um, he's going to be a guy that that, that Bud will be totally fine with playing in, in, in big moments and, and in the fourth quarter. So when we look towards Milwaukee in the playoffs later this season, what would you expect the rotation to be? Last night you guys played five guys, I believe. Yes, or ten guys, five bench players. Uh, obviously that wasn't including Thonmaker. Do you expect the rotation to shorten up once we get to the playoffs, or do you think Coach Bud will continue to roll with this kind of deeper set of guys? Yeah, it's really interesting because I I have no idea what is going to happen because the, even last night Pat Connaughton doesn't play, uh, Dante DiMincenzo doesn't play again, and those two guys were were guys that were completely locked in the rotation early in the season and playing well. So now those two guys are missing out. Um, obviously, Thumb didn't play either. He's a guy that's played big minutes. So it's the Bucks are in a situation they haven't been in. Uh, I mean, maybe. For a long, long, long time, and uh, I know the record shows that anyway. But they've got 13 guys that that Bud legitimately trusts and will play in any moment. And he admits himself that he's still trying to figure out who's going to be there, and he's also just trying to keep everyone uh, active and playing games every now and then. So he's mixing and matching. Come playoff time, I, I would obviously things are going to. He's not going to play 13 guys, uh, but. I do believe that he will have no problem in, in mixing and matching between, particularly in the guards, between guys like Sterling Brown, uh, DiVincenzo, Pat Connaughton. I think he's going to be he's going to be really fine with uh, playing one of those guys one game and then going to the next guy. He's got great trust in the team. I'm not sure that he's going to completely lock down on, on nine nine or ten guys. I, I think he's going to continue to mix and match, and, and uh, if a guy's making shots, he's going to roll with him. Um, if I go through a little cold, pa- cold patch, he'll bring in the next guy, and that's what we've seen so far. 
Right. It's, Tony Snell, I know, was a starter for a long period of time the past couple of years. He's been replaced by Malcolm Brogdon. Do you think there's any chance that he falls out of the rotation? He was only given 13 minutes last night, and I know that he provides a lot of length defensively and is a pretty good shooter. Uh, sometimes can be unimpactful on the court, kind of disappears at times. But do you think that he's at risk of losing his job or his spot in the rotation, possibly? Yeah, I don't think Tony Snell is. It was interesting last night, and he's a guy that sometimes you just don't even know. I'm looking at the box score now, and you said he played 13 minutes. I, I didn't even. I knew he was on the court. I had no idea that he didn't even take a shot. So, <laughs> uh, sometimes Tony does that. And it hasn't happened this season. He, he's been a lot better. Last season with, under Jason Kidd, he would often just you you would watch a game and he would literally just plant himself in the corner. And he would be out there for 20, 25 minutes, and he'd just stand in the court the whole time and not, not get maybe you get take one shot. Um, but Butts done a really uh, good job of using him in different scenarios. He's actually been, uh, you know, handling the ball and getting into the paint with a lot more regularity. He's still shooting 40% uh, from three on three attempts per game. Um, I, I think that he's a guy that will be locked into the rotation. If, if I had to say who would go out, it would be one of the younger guys between uh, uh, Sterling or, or, or DJ Wilson or so on, or one of these, one of these guys that, that would probably um, be pushed out. But I, I don't think Tony Snell will. I know that's, that's, that's weird what happened last night, I, and I didn't even realise that. But, yeah, he, I, I think he's locked in. Is Sterling Brown still the darling of Bucks Twitter that he was when Jason Kidd was coach? He's pretty popular. It was <laughs> I, I I thought that he was going to uh, come out of the gate uh, this season um, and and really have a big impact. He didn't really play for the first 15 games uh, while the other guys were getting minutes. Um, but he's come in and since he's come in, he stayed in. Uh, I think we seen again last night three for six from three. Uh, he he has proven to have a knack of, of making big shots. And there was a couple of times there where the Bucks were, were falling behind as it felt like they were for the whole second half. But they were, they were down by around 10 points. Sterling Brown would hit a big shot and just keep them just hanging around. And he's done that quite a bit. And I think the other thing they like is he might be the most physical player on, on, on the Bucks team. He, he's not afraid of, uh, of body contact, particularly defensively. Um, so I think he's the type of guy they like having out there. Um, the Bucks Twitter uh, is a, a rare, happy group at the moment. I, I don't know. They haven't, they haven't got too much to complain about. And I, I'm not sure... They know how to deal with that. I think they're looking for things to complain about. Uh, one thing that I saw last night that they complained about a decent amount was the officiating, and particularly the officiating of Giannis Antetokounmpo. What was your thoughts on the officiating last night, and do you think that Giannis kind of gets less of a whistle than other superstars? Um, I, on the individual calls last night, it's I find it really hard at the game to really tell because you don't. I mean, I just feel like if you watch it on TV, you can the replays, you get a closer look at, at those type of things. Um, Giannis is so physical. And, I mean, when he's driving that hard and getting into the paint, it's really hard for anyone to defend him and not foul him. I, I, don't, I don't see how you actually do that. Uh, I mean, Toronto are a physical defense. And I think we saw last night that Giannis probably could have got a few more calls. I mean, when you're in the paint that often, chances are that you should you should get a few more free throws. I think I think they were frustrated that Kawhi had 15 free throws and Giannis had 11, and you know, Kawhi was fouled a lot on on jump shots. But Giannis is in that territory now. This is the way I describe it. He's in that, ter that LeBron territory now, where 
the same with LeBron in the past. If you're going to call a foul every single time that LeBron is actually foul, then he's probably going to be shooting 35 free throws again. And I, I think Giannis is in that territory now. I think he probably should have got some more calls last night. Um, but despite that, he still got to the line. He had 11 free throws. And, you know, I, I've, I've seen worse nights than last night with Giannis being officiated. I'll say that. I, I, I just thought it was a physical game last night. Um, probably like to see him get a few more calls. But uh, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not acting like that was the, the game changer. I'm with you. It's funny you mentioned LeBron. That was the same guy that I was going to problem. What a lot of people would bring up, it's just that kind of physical nature on drivings, and Giannis initiates a lot of the contact himself, so it just becomes so difficult to call everything. And I really think Toronto's kind of game plan was, or maybe it was unintentional, was to be physical with him from the onset, and they're just not going to call every single foul. So it's something that you notice. I noticed the Boston Celtics do it a lot of mugging guys off ball, where they just, if you kind of set that tone from the very beginning of the game, it's almost like you're forcing the officials' hands to call a foul on every single possession, which naturally they don't want to do. Yeah, and, and uh, one thing I will say, and this is this has been a trend uh, through the season, and I don't know whether it's a real thing or not, but early in games, Giannis doesn't tend to get many calls, and then, particularly at home, the crowd is, I mean, they are onto it early now. Like, this is, as you said, this is a thing that, that, that uh, you know, you'll see on Bucks Twitter all the time. The Giannis whistle is, is probably uh, the number one thing that's that's annoying uh, Bucks fans right now. But then as the game wore on, particularly in the last quarter, he was, he was getting a lot of those calls. And, and, then, and then the Toronto players were kind of shocked by that because I, I, probably pointing to what you're saying, I think they were probably thinking, well... We're defending him the same as we have all game. Why? Why is he getting the whistle now? So, uh, I don't know. I mean, it's got. It's hard. It's hard for, for the for the refs. I think you're right. I think they they definitely wanted to be physical, and I think it was really really effective. Right. It's almost like you try to set the rules of engagement as a physical game early on, and then deal yeah. with the aftermath later. Yeah. Uh, we talked about Bucks fans' biggest complaint on Twitter. I know last year the biggest complaint on Twitter for in large part was Jason Kidd. Can you just talk about the difference this team has made in being coached by Budenholzer as opposed to Jason Kidd last season and you know how much of a growth obviously going from the seventh seed to the to the number one seed right now, can you just talk about the growth that this team has experienced? Yeah, I mean it's been astronomical. I, I know, I know they they picked up a couple of key pieces. Obviously, Lopez has been huge uh, in terms of spacing, but at the same time, if you put Brook Lopez on this team last year, he, he's not he's not having that impact because he's not out in the three point line. So, I I, I think Bud, uh, you know, I think most people now have seen the the, the blue squares, the the philosophy as with the with the spacing, and um, it. I think when you have a guy like Arnas, that's I mean that that's just common sense, and uh, I think that's what what frustrated every, everyone uh, so much with Kid was that there just seemed to be no common sense in in anything, uh, whether it was the defense that was terrible for for the last three years and didn't change once, whether it was uh, not allowing guys to shoot threes, it was just completely outdated. Uh, Buds came in, um, and the big thing is he's just been positive, and every single time you talk to one of the players. They they on repeat. They're just like we're just having fun this year, and they're like if we make a mistake, uh, Bud is like 
don't worry about it. They're like, this is what we want to do. He's just so positive, which is the polar opposite to what Jason Kidd was. Uh, this guy is making these guys enjoy what they're doing. He's making them believe that they belong where, the, where they are right now in the standings. And I just think from even, you know, whether it's the X's and O's on the court or whether it's the way how these guys feel about each other and how these guys are getting along off the court, it's... I, it, it just can't be said enough how big that change is. And this team is, you know, from the way that they would respond to losses last year to the way they would just, will respond to losses this year, they haven't lost back-to-back games yet. Uh, their attitude has gone from a team that, that thinks, like, oh, we could probably do something. We, we hope to be in the playoffs. Hope we hope to get to the second round to a team now that will openly tell you this is where we belong. We belong at the top of the East. We think we can win the East, and that's that's. I mean, it's it's pretty big time. Yeah, you mentioned the offense, and I think a lot of fans were keen to catch on to the offense early on and the difference that you see as far as the spacing. But the defensive scheme change to me has been just as, if not more, important. I understand that as a coach, you want to have a philosophy and you want to install your values as a coach into a team. But when they continue to run that hyper-aggressive scheme and it didn't work despite having above-average defenders at nearly every position, you would think at some level you would realize no matter what your philosophies are as a coach, something needed to change. And it was just frustrating to see Milwaukee continue that aggressive scheme of defense despite the success rate compared to their personnel. Yeah, that was the big thing for mine. They went through the, all these years of, of drafting these long uh individual defenders and then they completely went away from uh, what those guys are good at and it, it just made no sense to me we've seen this year and you spoke about the, the drop back uh, scheme in the pick and roll and whether or not they stick with that the thing about that is it's a simple uh, scheme and these guys are able to do what they do best on defense and they're able to use their length Eric Bledsoe is a guy that's just been in insane this year defensively like he's a completely another guy a completely new guy from last year um and and like you said from from one to five and then on the bench these guys they have got endless defenders that are good one-on-one defenders and if you give them a simple scheme then their natural ability should carry this team to i always thought it should be a top 10 defense no matter what uh right now they're their third right now for defense. So, and, and they're not doing anything crazy. Like, there's no reason why that that, that won't be sustainable. Um, so, yeah, I, I I agree with you. That's uh, I'm glad you said that because uh, I think everyone that watches the Bucks, I think are, are sort of escaping that that the defensive side and just looking at all the threes. But uh, they've become a pretty elite defensive team, um, and that and that's that's just as big a reason why that they are where they are. Right, you know, it's it's playing to the scheme of the or playing to the talents of the players you have. It doesn't matter if you want to be a switch team or a drop team or anything like that. You just have to play to what you have, and it's not college where you can recruit players that specifically fit your scheme. You need to run based on the talent you have. Uh, so far this season, Milwaukee has the best rating in the league by a pretty wide margin. They have the best record right now. I mean, technically Toronto is a half game up in the standings, but I think it's pretty reasonable when teams are this good to look at the loss column rather than the overall games in the standings. Do you think that Milwaukee cares about the number one seed, or do you think that they are more focused on playing their best basketball for the postseason? 
it's 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 actually funny because we are uh, after they beat Atlanta on Friday, we we spoke to uh, Chris Middleton and, and Thon Maker, and both those guys were were very aware of the fact that the Bucks were too uh, too zip up in the season series, and, and they were very aware that last night if they won that game, they could have gone. Uh, oh, they would have clinched the season series. So, and they both pointed to. They didn't say that that is was their number one focus, but they just said they were very aware of that, and they were very aware that uh, Toronto is a team that they expect that they probably uh, probably or, or, or could run into later in the season. Uh, but then you asked Bud that question, and he said, "I couldn't care less." He goes, "I don't care about seeding. I don't care about." And that's just Bud. Like he's not going to give anything away like that. But I I think that we've seen. Uh, now, and I know the Bucks have won one in Toronto, you won one here, but um, we've seen in the past that you know, home court advantage is going to be important. And particularly last year, I mean, the Bucks didn't make the second round simply because they couldn't win a road game. So um, I think that they're certainly a top two seed. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't think that that's their focus every day to get the number one seed, but. Uh, you know, there's some good teams, and I know Boston's there as well. So between Boston, Toronto, and, and Milwaukee, uh, I think those three are going to be battling out for it. And I, I think, um, you know, you definitely want to get a top two seed. Uh, and if you can, uh, if you, I suppose, if you can uh, avoid that uh, second round tough matchup, then that's probably what you'd want to do. Sure, I'm with you. Uh, it's been kind of one of the things that's annoyed me about dealing with Raptor fans over the past, you know, year and a half, or not year and a half. I'm sorry the season so far it's just the important the idea that the number one seed isn't important because Toronto lost with it last year just doesn't make sense to me I I understand that it's not the end-all be-all but I definitely do think having home court advantage means a great deal especially when you talk about guys like Kawhi and Giannis who uh, the officiating is different at home and there's studies to prove that the home team gets more calls so I think that this idea that the number one seed isn't important is kind of a fallacy. Uh, even more important than that, I think avoiding the four slash five seed is the biggest thing for all teams because you don't want to have three tough matchups. Um, other than Toronto, who does Milwaukee, I, want to, I don't want to say fear, but who else do they kind of have their eye on as the other top competitor in the East? Yeah, I think it's Boston. Uh, I. For similar reasons to Toronto, um, Al Horford has, has given them some problems. I mean, Al Horford gives everyone problems, I think, but he's given the Bucks uh, some problems. Uh, being a guy that, uh, again, like we spoke about, a, a guy that is that they can play at the five is sort of. I mean, I guess it's a small ball. I mean, he, he's a different type of player. He, he can really, uh, you know, pass the ball, shoot the ball. He does a lot of things in the pick and roll that. Uh, the Bucks would probably have to again change their defensive style. I'm not sure again what that means for Brook Lopez when you're coming up against Al Horford. So the Celtics uh, certainly are going to be an issue. And the Bucks have had just big problems playing in Boston. Uh, obviously, the four games last year in the playoffs, uh, Boston were the first team to beat them uh, this season in Boston. Um, so, yeah, I, I think Boston's definitely a team that, that the Bucks will know that they're in for a real series with if they come up against those guys. Um, outside of that, I, I mean, and this is just a personal uh, opinion of mine that I might regret, but I, I think this—I I don't think Philly. Uh, I mean, they, they can figure it out, and they, I, think, I still think they have to make some roster moves and, and 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 do some stuff that they did last year to make a late run. But 
Phillies on the outer for mine. I, I just don't think that they've got the personnel that, that would worry the Bucks both defensively and offensively because I think the Sixers can be a little easy to defend because uh, a lot of ISO stuff going on. If they don't get out in transition, if you can keep them in the half court, they become a little easier to stop. So uh, I think Phillies on the outside of those top three. Uh, Indiana is interesting. Uh, they're going to be a tough matchup at playoffs. They're always going to play hard. If you get Indiana, you know you're in for a series. But um, I don't. I just don't think they have the top end talent to go with those top three. I'm with you as far as with Indiana. I I think they're a nice story, but until they really get a number two other other than Oladipo, I just don't know if they have the top end talent that the first three teams you said have. Uh, Philadelphia is an interesting one to me. Uh, so Joel Embiid uh, doesn't worry you guys down low. I thought that they would be the tougher matchup, although obviously you have a closer eye on it than I do. Well, well, the thing with Embiid is he's a guy that that, that Lopez does have a big impact against, and and they're fine with with playing Lopez against Embiid. So, uh, and and again, this is this is this is the whole the whole thing with with Giannis and Giannis is shooting jump shots now. Uh, we seen that last night that he has no hesitation with shooting them, even if he's not making them. But uh, that which is big. But obviously Ben Simmons isn't doing that. Uh, Embiid isn't a great outside shooter. So in in the past, the Bucks have had success by just basically forcing those guys out. And we granted we haven't played them with Jimmy Butler, so that does change things. But with Simmons and Embiid, uh, the Bucks are, are just putting, as, as I'm sure all teams do, but they put an emphasis on transition defense, slowing them down, getting them in the half court, and then, then pushing them out of the paint. And you can live with, if Embiid wants to shoot those turnaround sort of fadeaway jump shots or, or the three-point shot, then you're going to live with that. And uh, I, I just don't think until they get uh, more shooters around and they can play... Um, you know, to really space the floor, I, I think they've become a little easy to defend, but uh, that's not taken away, obviously, how talented those guys are individually, but I just don't think that they present the challenges defensively that Toronto and, and Boston do. Um, I mean, last night, I mean, we've seen what Toronto can do, but they're just, they're, I mean, a guy like Siakam, uh, and then and you play him at the four, and then a Barker at the five, uh, with all those guys around, then the MVP caliber player in in Leonard, I mean, it's it's a completely different base to, to Philadelphia for mine. Yeah, I'm I'm with you there for the for the most part. Uh, as we look towards the Toronto series uh, back there, if these two teams matched up, what do you think would be kind of your area to watch, or what would be kind of this, you know, the X factor of the game? Not to get too cliche, but uh, with with the Bucks and Raptors, yes. Uh, I I think it's going to be defense. Uh, I. I like we, we touched on, both teams were pretty good offensively last night. Uh, and and I think that either way, if, if either team can really lock down the other team and have a really strong defensive night, uh, then they're probably going to win the game because I, I think both teams, their offense is good enough that, you, that, that they'll be comfortable that they're going to put up points. So uh, we had a bit of an offensive showcase last night, uh, but... You know, from the Bucks' point of view, I mean, they would not be satisfied with what they allowed the starters to do last night. I would expect them to be better uh, defensively next time. Um, but also, I, I will point out that Middleton said that one of their Chris Middleton post game said one of their uh, plans was to close out late on Siakam, and it was interesting they said that 
because obviously he was a guy that burnt them all night long and came up with some huge three-point shots. So I, I think there'll be some adjustments. Obviously, next game, uh, I think it's January 31st. Uh, and there's going to be some implications there. We're going to be another month down the road. I know both teams, the schedule starts to lighten up, so we don't know where we're going to be uh, standing-wise. But, yeah, I, I think the defense is going to be the... Um, it's going to be the difference between the teams. I'm not sure how you, how you see it. Uh, I thought it was also interesting that you bring that up about Chris Middleton. Siakam hasn't – he's still not a good three-point shooter, but he's definitely gotten to the point where, you know, if you ignore him from distance, he has the ability to hit shots. I think he's shooting about 35% on the year. It kind of fluctuates game to game because he doesn't shoot that many of them. But do you think that was kind of a miscalculation by Bud? And, you know, I don't want to just play the results and say that he played that incorrectly, but do you think that Milwaukee will kind of switch next game and be a little bit more aggressive closing out on Siakam? Yeah, I don't know because I, I, I think about that, but then I'm like, okay, well, you've, I mean, you, you, can't, you can't defend everyone. And it's like, well, you got Kawhi Leonard. He's got no problem in, in shooting the ball from out there. I know Abaka last time, I think, shot 10 or something when we played in Toronto. Danny Green is obviously a threat, and, and Ben Fleet was just ridiculous last night. So, I I mean, they they got five guys. This, that's like that's the modern-day basketball, isn't it, where, where, where five guys can shoot the three. So I think it's rare that all five guys are as high as they were last night. Um, I, I don't know. I, I think Siakam certainly is... is more of a concern for the Bucks with how quickly that guy can move in transition, and that's where he was a real threat. But then last night, yeah, I mean, not only did he hit threes, like I, I felt like every time the game was getting close, it was in a big moment he hit his threes, which I, I think for Toronto and Toronto fans, I, I haven't watched the Raptors as closely as you, obviously, but for a guy that's still developing that shot and I suppose developing the confidence to shoot those shots to hit the big ones, um, that's 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 pretty big uh, development. Right, and you know, I believe two out of the three were from above the break, and he's been a good three-point shooter in the corner so far this season, but he hasn't been that effective from above the break. And to see him hit, you know, that one at the top of the keys in particular, I can't picture him hitting too many of those shots. Do you think that you know Giannis on Siakam is the right matchup? To me, the Raptors or the Bucks are kind of one defender short of guarding Toronto. Chris Middleton is a good defensive player. I don't think he's quite strong enough to handle Kawhi Leonard uh, kind of in the post and in his isolation game. Do you think that they're going to continue to put Giannis on Siakam and then Middleton on Leonard, or do you think that there might be a change there? Yeah, I, I think they'll definitely stick with Middleton on Leonard. We, we, I mean, Middleton has... Uh, it's kind of funny. I, I, feel like, I feel like if I didn't watch the Bucks. Not, I would think really like I don't think Milton can match it with Leonard. Uh, but this guy, I mean, he has defended Kevin Durant like incredibly twice already this season. Like completely, really shut him down and made his life difficult. But he's a talented uh, defender uh, in one-on-one situations. Uh, Leonard, I mean, Leonard's, I mean, you know, last night he he, he had a, a better night. He was still 8 to 16. I mean, 50 percent. He'll take that every night. But I know in Toronto he had a little more of a rough night. Um, I, th- I think the thing that was difficult for Milton last night, he had that stretch in, I think it was the third quarter, where he picked up two two quick fouls, uh, not sh- two quick non-shooting fouls as well, in the space of about 10 seconds, which put him up to four fouls, and then had to take Milton off Leonard. Um, and I think they went with Brogdon for a while there, which was interesting. Um, 
Yeah, I, I, I don't. I mean, that's you sort of touched on Toronto or a, a sort of unique team with the Bucker and Siakam. I, I think they probably leave it the way it, it was last night. Um, and then you know Tony Snell's probably another guy that would would try and defend Leonard. I guess he's he's typically the guy in the past that's that's been the backup for Middleton and gone to say a Durant if 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 Middleton's off the floor. So. Yeah, I mean, they just throw up some challenges. I, I, I could, I could sort of discuss this all day, all the things they could do because uh, it's. I mean, they got a lot going on. Right. All right. Thank you, Kane, uh, for joining me. Is there anything that you kind of are watching for the Bucks over the next forty games? Just keep winning. Uh, their schedule. They've had a rough schedule. So I know the Raptors. I was looking at the other night. I think the Bucks had the the third easiest schedule down the stretch and Toronto is the second easiest I think that's what I saw so uh, yeah it's going to lighten up for them and they're, they're going to have to take advantage of, of some of the poor teams they play and normally it doesn't matter that much this early but I think for these two teams they're going to be battling it out I think the big thing for Toronto and Milwaukee is uh, don't have any let ups because uh, you don't want to uh, regret losing to a to an Atlanta or something like that late in the season when you when you miss out in one speed by a game so yeah, just just keep winning. I, I think that's the big thing. Uh, last thing before you go, do you miss Dally at all? <laughs> I, I miss talking to Dally. Uh, <laughs> that's for sure. He was he was good to have around. We we would talk a lot about uh, you know non basketball stuff. So it was good to have another Australian there. Thon's, uh, I'm glad Thon's around. Thon is the, the I mean, I I feel like I can't say anything good about Thon because if I say anything good about Thon on on Twitter, Bucks Twitter just like blows up because he's a guy that. <laughs> He's a guy that they just don't like, and I don't really understand it. But uh, yeah, it's good to have him around. We 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 relate. He's he's a he's an Australian, or Sydney's Australian, but we get each other, so it's good to have one around still. But uh, I think from a, from the Bucks' point of view, the Delhi trade was all positive. Yeah, I totally understand. All right, thank you again for joining me. Too easy. Thanks, man.